Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. It's been called the crown jewel of Baltimore, but it is a time of transformation for the Inner Harbor. Waterfront Partnership of Baltimore is helping lead some of those efforts. This episode of the Free to Be More podcast will take a look at the future of Baltimore's waterfront. Lori Schwartz is the president of Waterfront Partnership. Lori, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Megan. First of all, for people who are not familiar with Waterfront Partnership of Baltimore, why don't you just tell us what the organization is and what you guys do? Waterfront Partnership is a nonprofit organization and a business improvement district that covers the area, including the Inner Harbor, Harbor East, Harbor Point, and Fells Point, four very different waterfront neighborhoods. And within those areas, our goal is to create a vibrant, healthy, active waterfront. So that means hosting events, putting on events, publicizing what's already happening by our partners, whether it's the Science Center, the aquarium, businesses and shops and restaurants in Fells Point, a new park coming in Harbor Point, all the wonderful activities happening at the waterfront that create reasons for people to come. And then once they arrive, we make sure that they're welcomed and comfortable and enjoy the waterfront experience. So we do that, for example, by having hospitality guides working all around the waterfront along the promenade predominantly greeting people, providing directions, helping them if they need to know how to get to the bus or if they need first aid, we can help with that. We also have a crew that cleans the waterfront, so it's always clean and crisp when people come. And then finally, we perform all the landscaping in public areas around the waterfront. And that's a really exciting way to make the waterfront area even more beautiful and robust and green than it would otherwise be. What was the impetus behind the creation of Waterfront Partnership back in 2005? Well, interestingly, the Greater Baltimore Committee has had historically a very strong role in the Inner Harbor, and they became very concerned that the harbor was looking neglected. And so they undertook a study to see how the city was maintaining and managing the Inner Harbor. And they came away with the belief that while the city had 10 or so different agencies playing some role in the Inner Harbor, whether it was fixing the bricks or cleaning up the trash or promoting, that work was not coordinated and was not being well performed. And so they sent a report to the mayor at the time it was Mayor O'Malley with several recommendations for ways that the city could pay more attention and really tend to the business of the waterfront area. And O'Malley looked at it. He was open, he said, to what the private sector wanted to see. Uh And at the time, Mike Hankin of Brown Advisory, located at Bond Street Wharf in Fells Point, and Mike Obedi, who at the time was focused on the Harbor East community, both took the lead and they said, we want to help. We think a public-private entity should be created along the lines of downtown partnership, but a little bit different because it's more of a tourist area, recreational area. 
So they led the charge in asking the mayor if he would work with them to create a nonprofit and a business improvement district. So there was talk of whether to combine with downtown partnership, Mm -hmm. but the leaders around the waterfront felt strongly that the waterfront area was really different enough from the traditional downtown that a different organization should be created that was more hospitality driven. Mm -hmm. Why is the waterfront such a huge economic asset to Baltimore City? Well, the water is a draw for people. I mean, that's a very general statement, but I think it's universally true around the world that water just creates magical experiences, the movement of the water, the appearance of the water, the boats that are on the water have been a draw for centuries. And so the harbor, when it was redeveloped in the late 70s, with several of the attractions opening in 1980, the Harbor Place Pavilions, the aquarium soon after that, the Science Center a little before Harbor Place opened, Schaefer really promoted the experience of the Inner Harbor and focused not only on the activities on the land side, but also on the water side. And so the city made sure that there were docks available for recreational boats that would come in, that there was a water taxi to ferry people around the water and promoted the entire experience. And so people were really invited to come enjoy the waterfront. And now we're working on helping them enjoy the water as well. It's been nearly 20 years since Waterfront Partnership uh, was first formed. How much have you seen the communities that you're sort of overseeing grow? Harbor East, Harbor Point, you know, there's just been so much transition throughout the waterfront. There has. And in each area, in each neighborhood, the transitions have been different. As you mentioned, Harbor East and Harbor Point have both grown up. I mean, Harbor East has filled out with a mix of buildings. The Waterfront Marriott Hotel was one of the first properties constructed. And now there's Hilton Hotels, there are Homewood Suites Hotels, there are Marriott, smaller Marriott courtyards. There are residential properties like Liberty, which is just a magnificent residential property that has some condos, but more apartments and then Whole Foods on the first level, a gorgeous marina. Um, so Harbor East is close to being built out, not completely yet, but pretty much. Mm-hmm. And Harbor Point is just filling out now. Exelon slash Constellation, of course, was the first large tenant to move on to Harbor Point. Since then, there have been residential buildings constructed. The Canopy Hotel, where the... Um, Cindy Lou's Fish House is located on the first floor facing the the water and the promenade. There's a daycare center. And now T. Rowe Price's headquarters is under construction, along with a brand new nine-acre park. And so Harbor East and Harbor Point are obviously the newest neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Bells Point is the oldest. <laughs> and Bells Point is a neighborhood where we were invited to come in. When we got started as an organization, we were just located in the Inner Harbor, Harbor East, and Harbor Point. 
those point at the time didn't want to pay extra search and extra surcharge for our services. And that's fine. We had a governing principle from the beginning that we would only work with communities that wanted our services and wanted to work with us. And we wouldn't kind of knock on doors or force ourselves on any neighborhood. But about five years ago, Fells Point said, you know, we can see the impact your services are having on the Inner Harbor, Harbor East and Harbor Point. And we'd like to have that same level of service in Fells Point. We need it. We're willing to help fund it. And we want to work with you. And so we've enjoyed a really fun experience in Fells Point because it's such a unique neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So many of the shop owners or restaurant owners are located on the premises mm-hmm. as opposed to when you have chain stores, you know, it's a manager that's maybe a regional manager, but not a homegrown store like you see in Fells Point and the historic nature with the cobblestones and the historic buildings are just unique draws to Fells Point. We love working with them. And then obviously the Inner Harbor is going through significant changes now and has been for many years. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Children fifth grade and under can earn free tickets to the National Aquarium with the Read to Reef Book Club every March and October. Pick up a Read to Reef bookmark while supplies last at any Pratt location. Read five aquatic-themed books and earn four aquarium tickets. More details at prattlibrary.org. I know you spoke, you know, once the Inner Harbor just just really considered just such a crown jewel of Baltimore. It's been in decline for the past maybe decade or so. Uh, You've heard you talk a little bit about a lot of it was ownership woes. What do you think helped lead to sort of the decline of what we're seeing in Harbor Place and this really pivotal point of transition? Well, it has been in decline for more than a decade, unfortunately. And sadly, the Rouse Company, Jim Rouse leading that, personally developed the Harbor Place Pavilions. It was the second kind of festival marketplace in the country with um, Banyo Hall being the first in Boston Mm. and really achieved so much acclaim. The AIA awarded Baltimore with uh, recognition of being the international leader in redeveloping its inner harbor from an industrial uh, port community, which at the time it was redeveloped, it really was vacant warehouses and, and docks into this new recreational draw. So Harbor Place opened in 1980 by the Rouse Company. And they, although they were located in Columbia, they were local. They were considered a local owner and operator. And they really tended to Harbor Place and were able to bring in small merchants that couldn't pay the full rent. But that Rent was made up by larger tenants that were able to pay significant rent. So they recognized the need to create a place, not just put in retail and restaurants, but hand-selected every single tenant. Well, Rouse Company as a company was sold to General Growth. I think it was 2013. Um, General Growth was a mall owner-operator. And that's why they wanted Rouse Company. They had some larger properties. But General Growth didn't know anything about operating a festival marketplace. And so that's when we got Hooters and Bubba Gump and the um, Ripley's. It just wasn't the right mix for Baltimore. Mm -hmm. At the same time, General Growth was going through their own internal problems. 
and they finally declared bankruptcy. So the Inner Harbor, Harbor Place received no attention while general growth was going through its own problems. And then Ashkenazi Company purchased Harbor Place from the general growth companies. And as we all know, Ashkenazi did not invest in the properties. They had high hopes and uh, great ideals that they sought to achieve at Harbor Place, but none of it came to fruition. And as we all know, it went into receivership and sat in receivership for three years. So it's been in decline ever since Rouse Company sold to general growth. Mm -hmm. And um, it hit rock bottom. But we are fortunate to have, again, talking about homegrown, a homegrown leader, developer, community member, David Bramble, interested in and committing to redevelop Harbor Place. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important to really breathe new life back into that area? Well, there's right now for the Harbor Place, there's really, it, it's no, it's not a draw. And the Harbor Place in the beginning was an enormous draw for people to come down, walk along the water. You know, our surveys show we conduct independent objective surveys for Baltimore City residents every several years. And consistently, the primary reason why people come to the Inner Harbor is to enjoy the experience, to walk along the waterfront, mm -hmm. to enjoy the promenade and the greenery, sit and watch the boats going by, the water taxis, especially the tall ships when they come in, but the historic ships as well, the Constellation and the USS Torsk and other ships. Mm -hmm. um, but Harbor Place added a, a draw as well as the water and the waterfront, little retailers and all. And so without that, there aren't as many reasons to come down. You don't feel the life and a vibrancy mm -hmm. at the harbor without Harbor Place filled with merchants or tenants or some major activity. Mm -hmm. And I know there are plans out there and they're getting community feedback and you've touched a little bit on this, why is it so important that the people of Baltimore feel ownership over that area rather than it sort of just being a place for tourists? It could be a place for locals. Well, not many people recognize, but from the beginning, it was intended to be a place for locals. The perception is that from the beginning, the Inner Harbor was developed for tourists, but tourists came along after the residents accepted it and became so excited about it. And the news spread throughout the world, but especially the region, that this was a new destination in Baltimore for people to come to and visit and see, a very unique destination. And so that was not something people were used to or accustomed to, and it was an enormous sense of pride. I wasn't involved at the time, but I was in Baltimore. I'd only been here a few years before it opened. But the level of pride that was generated by Harbor Place's opening and the Inner Harbor's redevelopment was enormous. And I do remember the lack of pride that the city had in itself mm -hmm. and how different it was when Harbor Place opened and was marketed and promoted by Sandy Hillman and others. And Schaefer, you know, as we all know, was a great uh, promoter and mm -hmm. marketer. And so from the beginning, the Inner Harbor which is often intermingled with Harbor Place. Mm -hmm. The larger Inner Harbor and Harbor Place's property are often seen as one and the same by many people we've seen. 
mm-hmm. um, has been a source of pride and people see it as theirs. And Schaefer portrayed it that way, that it was Baltimore's Central Park. It was our front door. It was something that Baltimore uniquely did that at that time, no other city had done. Even Boston hadn't done a waterfront redevelopment like Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Is this moment an opportunity to really reclaim that pride with whatever redevelopment winds up happening there? It is. And it's the reason why there's so much discussion and debate and Mm -hmm. input into what the Inner Harbor should be, because people do see it as their own, our own, which is a wonderful thing. I can't think of another place in Baltimore where people universally see it as theirs. Mm -hmm. We have great parks with Druid Hill Park and Patterson Park and other parks, but neighbors and people who visit those parks see it as theirs, but not the entire city. So, you know, what a source of pride that is alone that Baltimoreans see the Inner Harbor as theirs. Uh One big source of pride for your organization is the redevelopment that has happened at Rash Field in just the past few years. Talk to me a little bit about that transformation. I know it's still phase one and it was a long time coming. It was a long time coming. You know, many organizations over the years in the 70s and early 80s talked about wanting to redevelop Brash Field. It was the only undeveloped property remaining at the Inner Harbor. And it had some features, a few play features, but otherwise was pretty much a large field that was intended to serve as a football field for Southern High School. Mm -hmm. And it did for a few years, but Southern High School relocated a little bit more to the south and lost that connection to the Inner Harbor field, especially when their new school had its own ball field, football fields built. So it was pretty desolate for many years until beach volleyball, uh, Baltimore Beach (laughs) laid claim to it. And they've been doing an incredible job drawing people all summer long, fall and spring to play volleyball. But for many years, people said, organizations said they were going to take on the redevelopment of Rashfield, and yet it never happened. And so we, Waterfront Partnership, the city, and Air St. Gross uh-huh. worked together to create an updated plan for the Inner Harbor. It was called Inner Harbor 2.0. Uh-huh. And there are many elements included in it, like the closing of the spur by... Um, McKeldin and Harbor Place, which is being talked about again. We're glad to see that. But the top priority coming out of that plan was to redevelop Rash Field. And our board and I decided that we had the unique blend of uh, planning and design as well as operations. We knew how to get things done. Mm -hmm. And so we agreed to take this project on and it was a little bit more uh, (laughs) dynamic (laughs) and challenging than I think I expected and probably our board as well. But, you know, we raised the money. We received significant commitment from the city of Baltimore, state money as well, thanks to Senator Ferguson and at the time, Delegate Learman and Klippinger. Delegate Klippiger. And then we were able to raise a quite significant amount of private money as well from BGE, T. Rowe Price, M&T, Brown Advisory, a few foundations as well. I was so heartened to see the kind of private interest that existed for redevelopment of the park. And mm-hmm. so now we have, um, thanks to Mahan Reichel 
an incredible park, Mm -hmm. just the first two and a half acres, but it's such a destination. In July alone, we had 28,000 people visit the park. And that's, that's independently collected data. It's not something, you know, we had a people counter or we guessed. It's independently verified. And it's just so exciting to see the kind of numbers that we're seeing, not just the numbers of people, but people coming from all over the city. In that case, we do survey. Um, our safety guides will survey people when they come through the park. What brought you here? Where do you live? Generally, either you know out of town or if in Baltimore, what neighborhood? And we've touched every neighborhood throughout the city, east, west, and north and south mm-hmm. um, in the park. The numbers are pretty reflective of the city demographics. Mm-hmm. About 68% of the visitors are African-American and the remainder are white, largely. There's some Hispanic mm-hmm. and um, it's all ages, but it's mostly parents with kids who love mm-hmm. to play on the adventure play tower and across that rope bridge and then kids that are playing at the skate park Mm -hmm. which is just all hours of the day and night that skate park is active jake's skate park Mm -hmm. so we're now planning the second phase and the second phase will be more fields it'll have soccer fields it'll have beach volleyball some pickleball courts oh yeah um, a number of gardens that will educate children around. We have a lot of native gardens throughout the entire waterfront footprint, pollinator gardens and the like. And we use that to educate children about the benefits of pollinator gardens and insects and birds and the like. Did you know you can get free legal help, assistance with social services, housing assistance, and more right at the Pratt Library? Check out the Pratt's Social Impact Partnership to find out what's available at your local branch. You're free to be more at the Pratt. You're focused on redevelopment around the water, but you're also focused on the water itself with the goal of making the harbor swimmable. What strides have been made towards that goal over the past two decades? Well, the water is swimmable now, most days, not on a day like today or tomorrow (laughs) after it rains. We don't advise anyone swim immediately after a rainfall, but we've had a goal of a swimmable, fishable harbor since 20. 10. Mm-hmm. And we missed that goal by a few years, but we're not embarrassed about that. Mm-hmm. We're incredibly pleased that the goal was reached at all. And some people may have seen that a dozen of us jumped in the harbor. I saw that. Past September 1st. Yep. And we all lived to tell about it. We didn't grow extra fingers. Nobody went to the hospital with an infection. It was just a thrill. It was so much fun. And we have a documentary out that tells the story behind it. But we are going to be having a public swim event next spring, late spring, early summer. And um, we have a sign-up sheet. That's old-fashioned sign-up sheet (laughs) on our website. (laughs) There's a sign-up page where people can log on and put their name for additional information to learn about the swim. So changing that perception will be harder, I think, than changing the swimmability of the harbor. It's taken us a long time to reach this point. Some of it was thanks to the water wheels, Mr. Trash Wheel and his partners, Professor Trash Wheel and Gwenda. But more of it was the city repairing and fixing the sewage system. So 
it's been a great partnership and it continues to be a good partnership working with the city's Department of Public Works, who's also very proud of the fact that the water is now swimmable most days of the year. But we monitor it carefully. In the summer months, we monitor it and pull samples out five days a week and have them tested for bacteria and other pollutants that might keep the harbor from being swimmable. And Mm -hmm. the numbers are just very gratifying. Let me say that. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge accomplishment, and you guys have really looked for innovative solutions talking about the trash wheels that have now been sort of recognized internationally. Did you ever think that the trash wheels would become kind of iconic of Baltimore? They're kind of their own characters in and of itself. That was not our expectation or our plan, <laughs> but as soon as those googly eyes went on, we go. he became an internet trendsetter, yeah. and um you know, Mr. Trashville, I think, has more followers than anybody else in Baltimore. Um, <laughs> social media is just alive with people following Mr. Trashville. And that's great. It's not only fun because we put a fun voice to Mr. Trashville, but it's so educational as well because it captures people's attention, especially children. It's a great opportunity to talk to them about litter and trash and why it's in the harbor of where it comes from and how that litter you see on the street in your neighborhood is going to end up um, being eaten by Mr. Trash Wheel if it's not cleaned up before. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a really helpful and useful opportunity to educate mostly children, but not only children. So it's been a great tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here at the library, we like to put googly eyes on pretty much anything. So we're, we're very, <laughs> we love Mr. Trash Wheel here. Did you know he, um, just real quickly, did you know he has collected so far, or the family, the Mr. Trash Wheel family, That's three family. trash wheels, 2,362 tons of trash. Amazing. Yeah. I lived right near Professor Trashville. I used to see her every morning. So <laughs> definitely become a source of pride. Good. One of the things Waterfront Partnership is doing, I mean, really looking towards the future and looking at the sustainability of our waterfront neighborhoods. How do you do that as you're factoring in climate change and potentially rising water levels? How are you factoring that in as we're looking towards the future? Well, sustainability and environmental conservation are key principles for Waterfront Partnership, and they're they're integrated throughout our strategic plan in everything we do, whether it's the vehicles that our operations team drives or the equipment they use and the education that we provide all around the waterfront, not just using Mr. Trash Wheel, mm-hmm. but using oysters. We have an oyster gardening program with volunteers from many of the area corporations, Brown Advisory, T. Rowe Price, RK&K, and many others who adopt the oyster cages and come out every month while they help plant them initially, put baby spat into the cages and put them into the water, and then every month come and help clean them. We also have started what we're calling wildlife gardening program because we have all native plants, or I'd say 95% of the waterfront is covered with native plants. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity to educate, again, mostly children, but not only on the value of native plants and 
how they benefit insects and birds and how pollinator gardens are edible for wildlife and how important that is to create that kind of system where we can feed our own wildlife around the waterfront. So not only is the water alive with fish and oysters and clams and mussels, but the land side as well is alive with various wildlife. So we build birdhouses and insect hotels. We have a meadow at Rashfield. And so Rashfield by itself has become kind of an incubator for these kinds of programs and lessons. And then we've spread it around the waterfront over to Harbor East with Lancaster Street Garden that Morgan Stanley has adopted and helps take care of. So it's a major commitment that we have being in such a precious environment by the water to have a sustainable waterfront and to use it as an opportunity to educate people. We are concerned about sea rise. I'm sure we're going to see significant flooding from the storm that we're experiencing today and tonight. And um, we started with a study looking at the Inner Harbor at what levels of increase can we expect to see in the coming 20 years, 30 years for the Inner Harbor. Mm -hmm. And so we've worked with MCB on that. Mm -hmm. And um, the plan that they've put forward for the promenade and rebuilding the promenade accommodates that kind of expected sea rise. We're hoping to also next work with Fells Point, which is a historic community, is probably the most flooded around the waterfront, most frequently flooded around the waterfront. And so that'll be a whole different challenge. You know, at the Inner Harbor, Harbor Place is going to be rebuilt. It'll be new. It can be built to more sustainable standards. But neighborhoods like Fells Point are already built And they are historic and we want to preserve that uniqueness and that value for owners and visitors. Um, That's our next interest is working with Fells Point on a study to look at sea rise and how we can modify the promenade and protect it Mm -hmm. and the community protected from sea rise. Mm-hmm. And we're just sort of kicking off 2024. Are there any initiatives or events that you're really excited about this year that people should look out for? Well, the Baltimore Blue Way was announced last summer, mm-hmm. but we expect it to come to life in the coming year. And the Baltimore Blue Way is a kayak trail, just like we're used to bike trails and walking trails and mm-hmm. jogging trails. We now have a kayak trail along the waterfront, the Inner Harbor and beyond, down to Middle Branch and into Baltimore County, where we're working on specific properties to add kayak launches um, and also highlight areas of interest. Because looking at the Inner Harbor or Middle Branch or Harbor Point or Harbor East from the water side is 100% different. 100 degrees different Uh than looking at the water from the land side. So it creates a whole new experience at the waterfront that we're excited to highlight and talk to people about. And in fact, just today, the New York Times listed Baltimore as one of the top 52 destinations for 2024 in the world. There were only two cities in, in the United States and Baltimore was one with the Baltimore Blue Way being highlighted as one reason. So 
How great is that? So exciting. We talked about sort of the very recent future, but my last question for you, you know, 10, 20 years from now, when you're standing on top of Federal Hill and you're looking down at all of those harbor neighborhoods, what do you hope to see? What's your greatest hope for what could happen for our waterfront communities? Well, in very general terms, to see vibrancy and health with a representation of Baltimore along the waterfront promenade in all neighborhoods. And I think that's changing already for too long. So many people in Baltimore, Baltimoreans felt like the Inner Harbor was not for them. Mm -hmm. And for a number of reasons, one, I think because of some of the programming that we've put on, particularly an initiative called Baltimore by Baltimore, which is really an example of a community-led placemaking opportunity where our staff call it um, turning the mic over to community members, in this case, producers that are of the community who put together a day of music. And it's a way of our not only working with our own network of musicians that we might know, but it's greatly expanding that into the community so that each time we have a Baltimore by Baltimore event, we have people from all parts of Baltimore come to see a different kind of entertainer. Um, whether they're a comedian or a jazz performer or Native American Indian performers um, we had last year. So, number one, I see Baltimore as having the Inner Harbor and, and the waterfront area, having a greater representation of Baltimore visiting and eating and dining and living, working. Mm-hmm not just coming to visit, but living and working here as well. And I do see the Inner Harbor as a very active place. It will look different than it does today. You know, the MCB uh, company is going through a whole series of public hearings and community outreach sessions. And so we'll see what that end product looks like. But everyone is committed to making it active and vibrant and First and foremost, for Baltimore, some have said, well, what about the tourists? And what we have found is tourists want to be where the locals are. They want to use an authentic experience. So if we build it for locals, the tourists will come. Yeah, maybe some a swim club, some paddle boarders, kayaks. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe a little cordoned off swim area at the harbor. Hey, I could beach. go for a run and then take a swim after. That would be perfect. Exactly. We could have triathlons. <laughs> yes, I love it. Laurie Schwartz, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Megan, thank you so much for having me. Imagination Celebration is coming back to the Pratt this April. A month of magical events for our youngest customers at all of the Pratt locations. It all kicks off Saturday, April 6th, when the Central Library will transform into a storybook. Check out prattlibrary.org for all the Imagination Celebration events. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another free-to-be-more conversation. Thanks for listening.